Good morning this morning. I invite you to open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter number 1. Thank you, Pastor John, for leading us in prayer this, eve, this morning. And uh, uh, Brother Andrew, and what a, what a blessing to be in this uh, service today. Welcome uh, those who are joining us online. We're so glad to have you today. And welcome. Hope you open your Bible and find it in 1 Peter chapter number 1. We're continuing a series of messages that we started last week. We're entitled this series, Godly Living in a Foreign Living in a Foreign World. We live, this is not our final home and destination. Amen. You know what? You might be a citizen of the United States, but greater than that citizenship, you have a citizenship which is in heaven, from which we await a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And how do I live my life in this world? As a sojourner, that's what Peter says we are, as a traveler, as a stranger, as an alien, how do we live our lives in a godly way in this troubled and difficult and foreign world in which we live? This is one of the themes of 1 Peter. Today, this message, we're going to focus on chapter number 1, verse number 3, which is really about the amazing grace and mercy that God has poured out on us in Christ Jesus. Now, just as a rehearsing what we talked about last week, 1 Peter is one of the general epistles that's found in the New Testament. It's written by the Apostle Peter, and it's written from Rome. It's written primarily to churches. It's a secular letter, meaning that it went from church to church to church to believers that are scattered in northern Asia Minor, modern Turkey today. And so as it would go to the churches, they would gather the churches and said, we have a letter. And when they would arrive, this letter would be read to the churches again and again. And people would hear the instruction from the Apostle Peter. Then the letter would be transported to another church and read there. It was written to encourage believers to be true to the Lord in the midst of trials and suffering and persecution that was on the horizon for them. How appropriate on a letter for our church to study during this season because we need encouragement. I think that indeed persecution is on the horizon for us as a church and we need to understand that and be prepared for it. He's reminding them of the great amazing blessings of God and the importance of his blessing. How that that blessing brings joy and hope that they possess in Jesus Christ. The salvation that they share with one another. The new life that is theirs in Christ. The hope that is real and sustains them. And an inheritance that awaits them. And a salvation that gives them security. That's what we're going to look at today. Now notice... 1 Peter chapter number 1, beginning with verse number 3. Do you have your Bible? Look with me or on the screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed 
in the last time. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that today that you would speak to our heart from your word. Father, we are listening. We believe that your word is truth. Father, we ask you, we invite you, Spirit of God, we invite you to do business with our hearts. Speak to us. May we listen attentively. May we listen sincerely. May we listen with a focus to obey. And Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts and our lives. Father, I pray that we would set aside things that would distract us. And we would focus on hearing you. We are listening. We are listening, Father. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse number three, he begins with these wonderful words, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be bring blessing to the Lord. We are to bless him with our lips. We were bless the Lord. And when we say bless the Lord, that doesn't mean that we're giving the Lord something that he needs. God is completely sufficient within himself. He needs nothing from us. But as his creation, we are called to bless his wonderful name, to speak a good word about God and what he is and who, what he has done for us. The word bless is the word that we get the word eulogy from or to, to eulogize, to, to tell of his goodness, to tell of his greatness to brag on all that he is and brag on all that he has done for us and what he is doing for us. Isn't the Lord good and hasn't he blessed us? And he says, he, but we are to bless his name, the blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy. He has lavished and poured out his amazing grace and mercy on us. By mercy, we mean that we were in desperate need of his kindness, desperate need of his mercy. We were hostile toward God. We were alienated from God. We were separated from God. We were wayward and lost and dead and hopeless. That was our condition. We were blind. And we had no hope and no way to work our way back into a right relationship with God. But God, in his mercy, listen to me, in his mercy, reached down and saved us and lavished his love on us. Amen. Shouldn't that make you want to praise the Lord? To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gates that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. So come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he hath done. That's the way that Peter begins this letter to them. He said, blessed be the God and Father. Listen, genuine believers in Jesus Christ of all people are the most blessed people that walk on this planet. Amen. We have been blessing. It's a blessing that holds you. It's a blessing that thrills you. It's a blessing that you can't help but share. 
It's a blessing that is amazing to you. It's amazing grace. His mercy has been poured out on us. I like the way Paul says it in Ephesians chapter number 2 verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He has amazingly, gloriously loved us. What is so amazing about God's grace? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at it together. Four things I want us to think about are the amazing grace of God. Number one, he has blessed us with a new life. Now look what Peter says. He has caused us to be born again. That's the blessing of a brand new life. Aren't you glad that God gives you new life in Jesus Christ? He gives you a new birth, a new life. He has caused us to be born again. Look at that passage in in, in Ephesians that we just looked at just a moment ago. In, In chapter number two, in verse number one. You were dead. This is your former condition. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. You were living after this world. You were following after Satan's designs. And he says, according to this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's working in the sons of obedience, you were living in disobedience, rebellion, And among them, we all too formally lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the sinful, in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's what we were. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. What a wonderful thing God has done for us. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. He caused you to be born again. He did this work in you. He created you. He caused you to be created, and he has also caused you to be born again. He has begetted you, is really what the scripture says. He has birthed you. He has fathered you. He's caused you to be alive and recreated. This is what God has done for you in Christ. Something very glorious and wonderful happened in our family this week. Our youngest son, Brad, and his wife, Erin, gave birth to a baby girl this week, Jolene. And she was born on Thursday morning about 2 a.m. Now, I must confess to you, and this is, I just got to make this clear. She's the most beautiful little baby I think I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Just spectacular beautiful. Of course, I would feel that way, right? And she is just so beautiful and just perfect in every way. On Friday, we got to go over to the house and 
hold the baby for just a moment. It was so just beautiful and wonderful. And, and they were just rejoicing. And little Charlotte's trying to adjust to a sister. And, and just their life is changing. And, and he, we were talking about, I said, how God has blessed you. And he said, Dad, I, I tell you what, it's just amazing. He said, you know, when we just couldn't quit weeping. And it was so tender. And holding this precious little baby in our arms, he says, the, the, the tears could, couldn't quit coming for both of us. And he said, I, I, I just, he said, Dad, I wish I could explain to you what this is like. <laughs> well, I think I know. It is the most glorious thing. But that little baby was not caused to be born because of Brad nor Aaron. That baby is a gift from Almighty God. You see, human effort has nothing to do with our salvation. It's all a work of God's grace for His glory. You see, when a little baby comes out of the womb, the little baby doesn't come out of the womb and says, Hey, look at me! I created myself. Aren't I something? No, because you didn't create yourself. Your life is a gift from God. And so you didn't do a wonderful job. God did a wonderful job. He created you. And all the praise, all the lavished praise should go to God. And you should never, ever get over it. That God has rescued and saved you and made you a child of God. Amen? Amen. In the book of Ezekiel, there's a beautiful picture of new birth. You remember the prophet was taken by vision to a valley. It was the valley was covered in dry bones. You remember the story. And in this valley, there was nothing but bones, and bones were scattered all over the valley floor. Hundreds and thousands of bones. And the bone skeletal remains that were there were so dry, and they were scattered. The skeletons weren't even intact. They were mixed up and jumbled and dry. And the question to the prophet was, can these bones live? Only God knows that. And he said, prophesy to the bones. And the man of God prophesies. And he preaches, O bones, hear the word of the Lord. And he begins to preach to a dead crowd. I've preached to some dead crowds. <laughs> but this is the dread deadest of the crowds. It's nothing but dry bones scattered all over the floor. And as he begins to preach, bones started shimmering and shaking. And bones start moving. And bones start aligning up. Skeletons brought together, bone to bone, in its right place. And then all of a sudden, as he's preaching, sinew begins to develop. Muscles develop. And skin comes over them. But they're still dead, lying on the floor, dead. There's no life in it. And he says, preach to the wind. And so preach, come from the four winds breath. And breathe on these slain that they may come to life. And the word breath or wind is the Hebrew word ruach. 
And Ruach means the breath of God, the wind of God, the spirit of God. Come to life. And they came to life and stood on their feet an exceeding mighty army of men filled with the Spirit of God and life. That's what you were, dead, and you had no hope. But through the preaching of the Word of God, you heard the gospel, and God caused you to be born again. You were born not just of flesh. You were not born because of your design. Going to church will not change you. Going, uh, changing your habits will not cause you to be born again. Losing weight will not cause you to be born again. Changing your behavior won't cause you to be born again. Getting dipped in a tank won't cause you to be born again. It is the work of the Holy Spirit it has to happen in your life. You must be born from above. Born again. And that's God's work. 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is how we're born again. Notice it's a mystery. It's God's work in us. In verse number 23. For you've been born again. Not of seed that is perishable. But imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like flesh, and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. My friends, listen to me. There's something mysterious and powerful about this. When we preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has ordained that that is the way that he is going to save. Because God, as they hear the gospel, men and women and boys and girls, they're awakened to faith. They're awakened to who Jesus Christ is. They're awakened to who they are. They're awakened to their sinful condition. They're awakened to the beauty of Christ and the love of God. And when we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified and the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that's when men and women turn from sin and turn to God. They are born again and changed by Almighty God. This is God's work. And this is why we must not abandon our post. We must not abandon our mission. There are many things that perplex our society. There are many things that need to be talked about or dialogue in our world. But the only thing that's going to transform lives is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus. And for the church to abandon the gospel and focus on other issues, we are missing what God has called us to. Paul said, I have determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because it's at the cross of Christ that men and women and boys and girls and black people and white people, Hispanic people and Asian people, that is where we are going to be changed. And at the cross of Christ, men are reconciled to God. And at the cross of Christ is where we get reconciled with each other. We begin to love each other and find the hope that we share in a common grace of God in his love for us in the cross. Amen? Somebody should say amen. And all the glory goes to him. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Number two, the blessing of a living hope. You have a hope that is living. It's a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. In 
our culture, we often, with our language, use the word hope as if wishful thinking. I hope, and you say, I hope this will happen. I hope, meaning wishful thinking. Like, I hope the Cardinals finish this baseball season. That's wishful thinking, right? I hope that the Cubs win the series again. Well, that's wishful thinking, right? But this is, this biblical word for hope is a certain reality. It's a living reality. In Colossians chapter 1, verse, verses 3 to 5, it says, in that, in that passage, Paul says, it's a hope laid up for you in heaven. You have a hope, and it's laid up for you in heaven. Peter knew what it was like not to have hope. Peter knew what it was like to watch his Savior crucified. He watched his Master, his Lord, the one he hitched his life to. He was crucified on a cross. He was there, and he saw him breathe his last, and he died. They saw as he took down his bloody, cold, limp body, pulled the nails out of his hands and his feet. There was no life. There was no breath. His body was become, became cold. They hurriedly wrapped it and washed it and carried it to a tomb. They put it inside a tomb and a big stone was rolled in front of it. And a seal was put upon it and Roman guards guarded it. And hope was gone. Jesus said, they will kill the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Will scatter and indeed the sheep did scatter. But on resurrection morning, Jesus Christ rose again victoriously from the grave. The first women that came to the tomb saw angels, and they had an encounter with Jesus, but the disciples did not see him immediately. But we're told in the scripture that the Lord came to Peter and appeared to him, and the Lord was gathering his scattered sheep. And he realized that he had a hope now, a hope that was sure and a hope that was living and a hope that conquered death and rose again. And he saw Jesus ascend into heaven and he saw a hope as he ascended. And he listened to the angels say, why are you standing here with your mouths wide open? This same Jesus that ascended into heaven is coming again. And Peter says, we have a living hope who's seated at the right hand of the Father and making intercession for us until his enemies be made his footstool and he is coming again. We have a living hope. He's alive. Chapter 1, Peter chapter 1, verse number 13. Listen to what he says. Therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is alive, and he's our living hope. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 6, Hebrews chapter number 6, beginning with verse number 18. In order that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement, we who fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. Now listen concerning this hope. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. It's a hope both sure and steadfast and one that enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. 
we have a living hope. We have a living hope that's seated in the heavens. We have a living hope because we've put our trust in him. We have a living hope who's making intercession for us. And we have a living hope that has secured our salvation. We are God's children. But we have a living hope that's coming again. The Titus tells us, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. He is coming again. We have the blessing of an unfading inheritance. Oh, I love this. Look with me in the first number four, how Peter describes it. To obtain an inheritance that's imperishable. It's described this way. This is our inheritance. Did you know you're an heir? I know we got our mask on. Everybody that understands we're an heir, raise your hand. We're an heir. Think about that. We're an heir. We have an inheritance. Now let me talk to you about this inheritance. It's imperishable. That means it will never perish. It's undefiled. It's not polluted. And it cannot fade away. And guess what? It's reserved and protected in heaven for you. Nobody's going to take it. Now, first of all, it's imperishable. It will never perish. Sometimes we receive an inheritance and it perishes. I had some friends of mine who received an inheritance and the inheritance was stock in a, co in a company. And this small business, this small company was worth a great value. And so they received a lot of stock in this company in an inheritance. And because of that inheritance, they were worth a lot of money on paper. But that company failed and faltered and its stock plummeted. And within a few days, the company, their, their inheritance was gone. Inheritance can be gone in a moment. Some friends of ours received an inheritance, inheritance of a farm, and they moved into a farmhouse that was a part of the family, barns and outbuildings, but a wind came through and blew and destroyed the house and the barns and all that the, everything. In a moment, the inheritance was gone and perishes. It's undefiled. It's not polluted. It can't be corrupted. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. It will never, ever fade away. Did you know some glories fade away? Sometimes you get something and then it loses its luster. It loses its glory. We think about Moses whenever he went and met with the Lord face to face and his face became so so filled with glory that he had to put a veil on because the people couldn't stand it because the glory was so bright on Moses' face. But also that veil hid the fact that that glory began to fade because he was no longer face to face with the Lord. But we are told in Corinthians, we all with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image, from glory to glory, into the, by the Holy Spirit's work. 
Folks, we have a glory that will never, ever fade away. And it's reserved and protected in heaven for you. In the Old Testament, inheritance was a portion in the land. God promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that he would give them a portion of the land. It didn't happen in their life. It happened hundreds of years later. When the children of Israel come out of Egypt, God said, I will give you a land flowing with milk and honey. And so they came to the very edge of the promised land. A whole generation did not enter the promised land because of the rebellion and disbelief. But the next generation, left, led by Joshua and Caleb, into the promised land. And as they entered into the promised land, they removed their adversaries. And God gave them a land of milk and honey. Cities that they did not build. Vineyards that they did not plant. And God blessed them. And every Israelite was given a portion in the land. That was his inheritance. That was a part of his covenant promise. But what is our inheritance as believers? Our inheritance is not material goods, but our inheritance is in a relationship with Almighty God Himself. This is our inheritance. We are heirs of promise, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You want to know about our inheritance? Let me tell you, don't miss this. It's glorious. In chapter number 8, verse number 15, listen to what the scripture says. For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. If children, now listen, heirs, you're an heir, a heritage. Also heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. You are an heir. Galatians says it this way. If you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. You are a child of God. You are a son or daughter of God. You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You have a place to belong. You can now have, this is your inheritance. Stay with me. Your inheritance is you have a life where you belong, a life of meaning, a life of fulfillment, a life of contentment, a life of joy, a life that is filled with glory and meaning. The creation, the creator, and the created ones, us as children of God, are brought together in harmony. And we are in the presence of God. We are sons and daughters and we will never ever be divorced from him. We are his children and he loves us. And we'll never grow old in this. It's amazing grace. And when we've been there years and eons and eons, it will never grow old. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. There'll be no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It will be glorious. Amen. Amen. But finally, he gives us a blessing of eternal, secure salvation. In verse number five, listen to how Peter describes it. He says, you are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation 
ready to be revealed in the last time. You are protected. The word verse 5 means protected, means guarded. He, 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 God himself is guarding, and he's guarding by what? The past, his own power. I want to ask you a question. How powerful is God? How powerful is God? Y'all concur? Is God powerful? How powerful? Little God, big problems. Big God, little problems. Because God's got it. He is sovereign God. And you're protected by him through faith. You put your faith and your trust in Jesus, and Jesus will protect you. Listen, one of the most beautiful passages, and I quote it often, but I want us to think about it again today. It's found in the 10th chapter of John. Here Jesus says, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow after me. And then he says this, I give them my sheep, my mine. I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. Let me tell you what Jesus did for you. When you were born again and gave your life to Christ and surrendered to him as the Lord and master of your life, confessed your faith and trust in him. The Holy Spirit did a work in changing you, but not only that, the gift of eternal life was given to you. Now, we're not talking about temporary life. He gave you eternal life. And eternal life has come to live inside of you. So in me is eternal life. And they shall never perish. And then he said, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Does that sound secure to you? Eternal life on the inside of you. Christ holding you in his hand. But then listen to what he says. You're doubly secure. And my Father, who's given them to me, is greater than all. And no one's even able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Wow. You are secure. And your salvation is secure in Christ. Hallelujah. That should cause you to praise him. That should cause you to live for him and to love him and adore him. In Isaiah chapter number 28, therefore thus says the Lord, verse 16, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for a foundation, firmly placed, and he who believes in it will not be disturbed. I'm telling you, God has laid a stone, and when your life is on the rock, it will not be disturbed. Why would I fear man who dies? What can man do to me? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus said, The one who hears my word and acts on them may be compared to a man who built his life on a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods rise up, and the winds blow against it, and burst against that house. But it stands because it's built on a rock. 
Jesus Christ is our foundation. And our lives are held strong because God does not waver. Amen. In the book of Romans, chapter number 8, Paul says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who can be against you? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him for us all. How will he not freely give us all things? Won't he provide for you? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one that justifies. Who's the one that condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can not lose because you didn't cause it he caused it he did it and he holds you my friends you are a child of God this would never cause you this great truth to go out and live a sinful life never ever would it cause you to do that and if you somehow think I'm secure so I'll just go out and live sinfully then you're lost and you're not saved but if you know him he holds you, and you do not fear the enemy. The enemies may come and assail you. They may take your house. They may threaten you. You may lose your job. They may threaten you and throw you in prison. They may separate you from your children. They may threaten you that if you don't recount your, uh, recant your faith, that they're going to harm you. But whatever suffering comes to me, my salvation is secure. And God in heaven holds me. And he has me. And that's what Peter's reminding them. I love this hymn. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge, to Jesus have fled. Fear not. Listen, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed. For I am thy God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand. Uphold you by my righteous, omnipotent hand. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. He loves you, and he's with you. Does that encourage your heart today? Takeaways today. Number one, are you blessing God for his amazing grace in your life? How are you praising him? 
Are you blessing him daily? Are you blessing him, thanking him, praising him? Number two, who caused you to be born again? I want you to just think about that. Who caused you to be born again? Number three, hey, what's the difference between wishful thinking and a living hope? Big difference, huh? Number four, are you living like an heir? Or are you living like a defeated pauper or an heir? Number five, where is your inheritance today? Where is it? It's not in things. And number six, are you walking in security or insecurity? God wants you to walk in security. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, your word is true and powerful and life-changing. Thank you for powerfully speaking to us through your word today. Lord, as we contemplate you and your great mercy and grace, and as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper, I pray that, Father, you would take these truths and solidify them in our minds, in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.